Chapter One of Behind a Mask. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Behind a Mask, or A Woman's Power, by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter One, Jean Muir. "'Has she come?' "'No, mamma, not yet.' "'I wish it were well over. The thought of it worries and excites me. A cushion for my back, Bella.' And poor, peevish Mrs. Coventry sank into an easy-chair, with a nervous sigh and the air of a martyr, while her pretty daughter hovered about her with affectionate solicitude. "'Who are they talking of, Lucia?' asked the languid young man, lounging on a couch near his cousin, who bent over her tapestry-work with a happy smile on her usually haughty face. "'The new governess, Miss Muir. Shall I tell you about her?' "'No, thank you. I have an inveterate aversion to the whole tribe. I've often thanked heaven that I had but one sister, and she a spoiled child, so that I have escaped the infliction of a governess so long.' "'How will you bear it now?' asked Lucia. "'Leave the house while she is in it.' "'No, you won't. You're too lazy, Gerald,' called out a younger and more energetic man, from the recess where he stood teasing his dogs. "'I'll give her a three days' trial. If she proves endurable, I shall not disturb myself. If, as I am sure, she is a bore, I am off anywhere, anywhere out of her way.' "'I beg you won't talk in that depressing manner, boys. I dread the coming of a stranger more than you possibly can, but Bella must not be neglected. So I have nerved myself to endure this woman, and Lucia is good enough to say she will attend to her after to-night.' "'Don't be troubled, mamma. She is a nice person, I dare say, and when once we are used to her, I've no doubt we shall be glad to have her. It's so dull here just now.' Lady Sidney said she was a quite accomplished, amiable girl, who needed a home, and would be a help to poor stupid me, so try to like her for my sake. "'I will, dear. But isn't it getting late? I do hope nothing has happened. Did you tell them to send a carriage to the station for her, Gerald?' "'I forgot it. But it's not far. It won't hurt her to walk,' was the languid reply. It was indolence, not forgetfulness, I know. I'm very sorry. She will think it so rude to leave her to find her way so late. Do go and see to it, Ned. Too late, Bella. The train was in some time ago. Give your orders to me next time. Mother and I'll see that they are obeyed," said Edward. Ned is just at an age to make a fool of himself for any girl who comes in his way. Have a care of the governess, Lucia, or she will bewitch him." Gerald spoke in a satirical whisper, but his brother heard him and answered with a good-humoured laugh. "'I wish there was any hope of your making a fool of yourself in that way, old fellow. Set me a good example, and I promise to follow it. As for the governess, she is a woman, and should be treated with common civility. I should say a little extra kindness wouldn't be amiss, either, because she is poor and a stranger. "'That is my dear good-hearted Ned. We'll stand by poor little Muir, won't we?' 
and running to her brother, Bella stood on tiptoe to offer him a kiss which he could not refuse, for the rosy lips were pursed up invitingly, and the bright eyes full of sisterly affection. "'I do hope she has come, for when I make an effort to see any one I hate to make it in vain. Punctuality is such a virtue, and I know this woman hasn't got it, for she promised to be here at seven, and now it is long after,' began Mrs. Coventry, in an injured tone. Before she could get breath for another complaint, the clock struck seven and the doorbell rang. "'There she is!' cried Bella, and turned toward the door as if to go and meet the newcomer. But Lucia arrested her, saying authoritatively, "'Stay here, child. It is her place to come to you, not yours to go to her.' "'Miss Muir,' announced a servant, and a little black-robed figure stood in the doorway. For an instant no one stirred, and the governess had time to see and be seen before a word was uttered. All looked at her, and she cast on the household group a keen glance that impressed them curiously. Then her eyes fell, and bowing slightly she walked in. Edward came forward and received her with the frank cordiality which nothing could daunt or chill. "'Mother, this is the lady whom you expected, Miss Muir. Allow me to apologize for our apparent neglect in not sending for you. There was a mistake about the carriage. Or rather, the lazy fellow to whom the order was given forgot it. Bella, come here." "'Thank you. No apology is needed. I did not expect to be sent for." And the governess meekly sat down without lifting her eyes. "'I am glad to see you. Let me take your things,' said Bella, rather shyly for Gerald, still lounging, watched the fireside group with languid interest, and Lucia never stirred. Mrs. Coventry took a second survey and began, "'You are punctual, Miss Muir, which pleases me. I'm a sad invalid, as Lady Sidney told you, I hope, so that Miss Coventry's lessons will be directed by my niece, and you will go to her for directions, as she knows what I wish. You will excuse me if I ask you a few questions for Lady Sidney's note was very brief, and I left everything to her judgment." "'Ask anything you like, madam,' answered the soft, sad voice. "'You are Scotch, I believe?' "'Yes, madam.' "'Are your parents living?' "'I have not a relation in the world.' "'Dear me, how sad! Do you mind telling me your age?' Nineteen and a smile passed over Miss Muir's lips, as she folded her hands with an air of resignation, for the catechism was evidently to be a long one. "'So young! Lady Sidney mentioned five-and-twenty, I think, didn't she, Bella?' "'No, Mamma. She only said she thought so. Don't ask such questions. It's not pleasant before us all,' whispered Bella. A quick, grateful glance shone on her from the suddenly lifted eyes of Miss Muir, as she said quietly, "'I wish I was thirty, but as I'm not, I do my best to look and seem old.' Of course every one looked at her then, and all felt a touch of pity at the sight of the pale-faced girl in her plain black dress, with no ornament but a little silver cross at her throat. Small, thin, and colourless as she was, with yellow hair and grey eyes and sharply cut, irregular, but very expressive features. Poverty seemed to have set its bond stamp upon her, and life to have had for her more frost than sunshine. 
but something in the lines of the mouth betrayed strength, and the clear low voice had a curious mixture of command and entreaty in its varying tones. Not an attractive woman, yet not an ordinary one, and as she sat there with her delicate hands lying in her lap, her head bent, and a bitter look on her thin face, she was more interesting than many a blithe and blooming girl. Bella's heart warmed to her at once, and she drew her seat nearer, while Edward went back to his dogs that his presence might not embarrass her. "'You have been ill, I think,' continued Mrs. Coventry, who considered this fact the most interesting of all that she had heard concerning the governess. "'Yes, madam. I left the hospital only a week ago.' "'Are you quite sure it is safe to begin teaching so soon?' "'I have no time to lose, and shall soon gain strength here in the country, if you care to keep me.' "'And you are fitted to teach music, French, and drawing?' "'I shall endeavour to prove that I am.' "'Be kind enough to go and play an air or two. I can judge by your touch. I used to play finely when a girl.' Miss Muir rose, looked about her for the instrument, and seeing it at the other end of the room went toward it, passing Gerald and Lucia as if she did not see them. Bella followed, and in a moment forgot everything in admiration. Miss Muir played like one who loved music and was perfect mistress of her art. She charmed them all by the magic of this spell. Even indolent Gerald sat up to listen, and Lucia put down her needle, while Ned watched the slender white fingers as they flew, and wondered at the strength and skill which they possessed. "'Please sing,' pleaded Bella as a brilliant overture ended. With the same meek obedience Miss Muir complied, and began a little Scotch melody, so sweet, so sad, that the girl's eyes filled, and Mrs. Coventry looked for one of her many pocket-handkerchiefs. But suddenly the music ceased, for with a vain attempt to support herself, the singer slid from her seat and lay before the startled listeners, as white and rigid as if struck with death. Edward caught her up, and ordering his brother off the couch, laid her there, while Bella chafed her hands, and her mother rang for her maid. Lucia bathed the poor girl's temples, and Gerald, with unwonted energy, brought a glass of wine. Soon Miss Muir's lips trembled, she sighed, then murmured tenderly, with a pretty Scotch accent, as if wandering in the past, "'Bide wi' me, mother. I am say sick and sad here all alone.' "'Take a sip of this, and it will do you good, my dear,' said Mrs. Coventry, quite touched by the plaintive words. The strange voice seemed to recall her. She sat up, looked about her a little wildly for a moment, then collected herself and said, with a pathetic look and tone, "'Pardon me. I have been on my feet all day, and in my eagerness to keep my appointment, I forgot to eat since morning. I'm better now. Shall I finish the song?' "'By no means. Come and have some tea,' said Bella, full of pity and remorse. "'Seen first. Very well done,' whispered Gerald to his cousin. Miss Muir was just before them, apparently listening to Mrs. Coventry's remarks upon fainting fits, but she heard, and looked over her shoulders with a gesture like Rachel. Her eyes were grey, but at that instant they seemed black with some strong emotion of anger, pride, or defiance. A curious smile passed over her face as she bowed, 
and said in her penetrating voice, "'Thanks. The last scene shall be still better.' Young Coventry was a cool, indolent man, seldom conscious of any emotion, any passion, pleasurable or otherwise. But at the look, the tone of the governess, he experienced a new sensation, indefinable yet strong. He coloured and, for the first time in his life, looked abashed. Lucia saw it, and hated Miss Muir with a sudden hatred, for in all the years she had passed with her cousin no look or word of hers had possessed such power. Coventry was himself again in an instant, with no trace of that passing change, but a look of interest in his usually dreamy eyes, and a touch of anger in his sarcastic voice. "'What a melodramatic young lady! I shall go to-morrow.' Lucia laughed, and was well pleased when he sauntered away to bring her a cup of tea from the table, where a little scene was just taking place. Mrs. Coventry had sunk into her chair again, exhausted by the flurry of the fainting-fit. Bella was busied about her, and Edward, eager to feed the pale governess, was awkwardly trying to make the tea, after a beseeching glance at his cousin, which she did not choose to answer. As he upset the caddy, and uttered a despairing exclamation, Miss Muir quietly took her place behind the urn, saying with a smile and a shy glance at the young man, "'Allow me to assume my duty at once, and serve you all. I understand the art of making people comfortable in this way. The scoop, please. I can gather this up quite well alone, if you will tell me how your mother likes her tea.' Edward pulled a chair to the table and made merry over his mishaps, while Miss Muir performed her little task with a skill and grace that made it pleasant to watch her. Coventry lingered a moment after she had given him a steaming cup, to observe her more nearly, while he asked a question or two of his brother. She took no more notice of him than if he had been a statue, and in the middle of one remark he addressed to her, she rose to take the sugar-basin to Mrs. Coventry who was quite won by the modest domestic graces of the new governess. "'Really, my dear, you are such a treasure. I haven't tasted such tea since my poor maid Ellis died. Bella never makes it good, and Miss Lucia always forgets the cream. Whatever you do you seem to do well, and that is such a comfort.' "'Let me always do this for you, then. It'll be a pleasure, madam.' And Miss Muir came back to her seat with a faint colour in her cheek which improved her much. "'My brother asked if young Sidney was at home when you left,' said Edward, for Gerald would not take the trouble to repeat the question. Miss Muir fixed her eyes on Coventry, and answered with a slight tremor of the lips, "'No, he left home some weeks ago.' The young man went back to his cousin, saying as he threw himself down beside her, "'I shall not go to-morrow, but wait till the three days are out.' "'Why?' demanded Lucia. Lowering his voice, he said, with a significant nod toward the governess, "'Because I have a fancy that she is at the bottom of Sidney's mystery. He's not been himself lately, and now he has gone without a word. I rather like romances in real life, if they are not too long, or difficult to read.' "'Do you think her pretty?' "'Far from it. A most uncanny little specimen.' "'Then why fancy Sidney loves her?' He is an oddity, and likes sensations and things of that sort. What do you mean, Gerald? Get the mule to look at you as she did at me, and you will understand. Will you have another cup, Juno? 
"'Yes, please.' She liked to have him wait upon her, for he did it to no other woman except his mother. Before he could slowly rise, Miss Muir glided to them with another cup on the salver, and as Lucia took it with a cold nod, the girl said under her breath, "'I think it honest to tell you that I possess a quick ear, and cannot help hearing what is said anywhere in the room. What you say of me is of no consequence, but you may speak of things which you prefer I should not hear. Therefore, allow me to warn you.' And she was gone again as noiselessly as she came. "'How do you like that?' whispered Coventry, as his cousin sat looking after the girl with a disturbed expression. "'What an uncomfortable creature to have in the house! I am very sorry I urged her coming, for your mother has taken a fancy to her, and it will be hard to get rid of her,' said Lucia, half angry, half amused. "'Hush! She hears every word you say. I know it by the expression of her face, for Ned is talking about horses, and she looks as haughty as ever you did and that is saying much. Faith, this is getting interesting. Hark, she is speaking. I want to hear. And Lucia laid her hand on her cousin's lips. He kissed it, and then idly amused himself with turning the rings to and fro on the slender fingers. I have been in France several years, madam, but my friend died and I came back to be with Lady Sidney till— Muir paused an instant, then added slowly, Till I fell ill. It was a contagious fever, so I went in my own accord to the hospital, not wishing to endanger her. "'Very right. But are you sure there was no danger of infection now?' asked Mrs. Coventry anxiously. "'None, I assure you. I have been well for some time, but did not leave because I preferred to stay there, than to return to Lady Sydney.' "'No quarrel, I hope. No trouble of any kind?' "'No quarrel. But—' "'Well, why not? You have a right to know, and I will not make a foolish mystery out of a very simple thing. As your family only is present I may tell the truth. I did not go back on the young gentleman's account. Please ask no more.' "'Ah, I see. Quite prudent and proper, Miss Muir. I shall never allude to it again. Thank you for your frankness. Bella, you will be careful not to mention this to young friends. Girls gossip sadly and it would annoy Lady Sidney beyond everything to have this talked of. Very neighbourly of Lady S. to send the dangerous young lady here, where there are two young gentlemen to be captivated. I wonder why she didn't keep Sidney after she had caught him," murmured Coventry to his cousin. "'Because she had the utmost contempt for a titled fool.' Miss Muir dropped the words almost into his ear, as she bent to take her shawl from the sofa-corner. "'How the deuce did she get there?' ejaculated Coventry, looking as if he had received another sensation. "'She has spirit, though, and upon my word I pity Sidney if he did try to dazzle her, for he must have got a splendid dismissal. "'Come and play billiards. You promised, and I hold you to your word,' said Lucia, rising with decision, for Gerald was showing too much interest in another to suit Miss Beaufort.' I am as ever your most devoted. My mother is a charming woman, but I find our evening party slightly dull, when only my own family are present. Good-night, mamma." He shook hands with his mother, whose pride and idol he was, and, with a comprehensive nod to the others, strolled after his cousin. "'Now they are gone we can be quite cosy and talk over things. 
for I don't mind Ned any more than I do his dogs,' said Bella, settling herself on her mother's footstool. "'I merely wish to say, Miss Muir, that my daughter has never had a governess, and is sadly backward for a girl of sixteen. I want you to pass the mornings with her, and get her on as rapidly as possible. In the afternoon you will walk or drive with her, and in the evening sit with us here, if you like, or amuse yourself as you please. While in the country we are very quiet, for I cannot bear much company, and when my sons want gaiety they go away for it. Miss Beaufort oversees the servants, and takes my place as far as possible. I am very delicate, and keep my room till evening, except for an airing at noon. We will try each other for a month, and I hope we shall get on quite comfortably together." "'I shall do my best, madam.' One would not have believed that the meek, spiritless voice which uttered these words was the same that had startled Coventry a few minutes before, nor that the pale, patient face could ever have kindled with such fire as that which looked over Miss Muir's shoulder when she answered her young host's speech. Edward thought within himself, "'Poor little woman! She has had a hard life. We will try and make it easier while she is here,' and began his charitable work by suggesting that she might be tired. She acknowledged she was, and Bella led her away to a bright, cosy room, where with a pretty little speech and a good-night kiss she left her. When alone Miss Muir's conduct was decidedly peculiar. Her first act was to clench her hands and mutter between her teeth with passionate force, "'I'll not fail again if there is power in a woman's wit and will.' She stood a moment motionless, with an expression of almost fierce disdain on her face, then shook her clenched hand as if menacing some unseen enemy. Next she laughed, and shrugged her shoulders with a true French shrug, saying low to herself, "'Yes, the last scene shall be better than the first. Mon Dieu, how tired and hungry I am!' Kneeling before the one small trunk which held her worldly possessions, she opened it, drew out a flask, and mixed a glass of some ardent cordial, which she seemed to enjoy extremely as she sat on the carpet, musing while her quick eyes examined every corner of the room. "'Not bad. It will be a good field for me to work in, and the harder the task the better I shall like it. Merci, old friend. You put heart and courage into me when nothing else will. Come, the curtain is down, so I may be myself for a few hours, if actresses ever are themselves.' Still sitting on the floor, she unbound and removed the long abundant braids from her head, wiped the pink from her face, took out several pearly teeth, and slipping off her dress, appeared herself indeed, a haggard, worn, and moody woman of thirty at least. The metamorphosis was wonderful, but the disguise was more in the expression she assumed than in any art of costume or false adornment. Now she was alone, and her mobile features settled into their natural expression, weary, hard, bitter. She had been lovely once, happy, innocent, and tender. But nothing of all this remained to the gloomy woman who leaned there brooding over some wrong, or loss, or disappointment which had darkened all her life. For an hour or so she sat, sometimes playing absently with the scanty locks that hung about her face, sometimes lifting the glass to her lips, as if the fiery draught warmed her cold blood, and once she half uncovered her breast to eye with a terrible glance the scar of a newly healed wound. At last she rose and crept to bed, like one worn out with weariness and mental pain. 
End of chapter 1